Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. My name's Gav. I work for the Evangelical Alliance, which is a great privilege. And I don't know about you, but I find it annoying, unintelligent, unhelpful, and in fact, a little crass when people use sermons to advertise the ministry they're involved in. Um, however, I'm just sensing you want to hear a bit about the EA. So what we'll do is we'll do three minutes on the EA and then we'll crack on. The Evangelical Alliance was started in 1846 with two aims to unite the evangelical church in this nation to reach the United Kingdom for Jesus, and secondly, to give the evangelical church a clear and effective voice into every layer of society. 174 years on, I'm not sure any of that has changed. I'm also not sure there's been a more important time for the church to stand together than the next decade. The next decade's going to be really hard, but it's also going to be really amazing. If we can navigate the choppy waters of the secular world we find ourselves within, the gospel could transform this nation in an incredible way. But people often say to me, but what's an evangelical? That's quite easy, really. We believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Stop changing the Bible to accommodate your culture and start changing your culture with the truth in the word of God. Secondly, we believe the death and resurrection of Jesus is the single most important thing in human history. Thirdly, we believe in the need for conversion. So many of my friends seem to think you come to faith by osmosis. You don't. You get on your knees and you meet your saviour. And finally, we believe in being active in the world, making the world more like the kingdom. That's why evangelicals in this nation led the abolition of the slave trade, provided education before anyone else, and in the last 20 years have come up with and delivered Christians Against Poverty, food banks, street pastors. I'm totally convinced that the church is the solution to the problems of this nation. But we need to stand together. Now the EA is a membership organisation. We're made up of 3,000 churches like this one. 700 organisations and tens of thousands of individuals who say let's stand together to make Jesus known. And it's that individual membership that's becoming even more important. You see as we speak to the new government, as we operate in various corridors of power, there's a growing scepticism towards institutions. It's the individual numbers that really matter to some people. And so we desperately need more and more individuals to say, yes, my church is part of this, but I'll also be part of this. Why? Because I want to see a difference in this land. And you know, people often say, but what difference does it actually make? Well, so much of what we do, we can't talk about whilst we're doing it. But we can talk about it once it's done. So about three years ago, the government said they wanted to offset all youth work and Sunday schools. Do you remember that? So what we did was we led the, the church's response to that. And at least for now, it's been kicked into the long grass. Why? Because we're able to say we represent this many people and we're doing this much good in this society and we're not having this on our watch. So I guess I unashamedly ask you this morning to consider becoming a personal member of the EA. Do you know it only costs a cup of coffee a month to be a member of the EA? Three pound a month is outrageous, isn't it? You can join as an individual or as a couple. The price is the same. It's not about money, it's about voice. We want to make a difference in this land. If you signed up to EA anything less than two years ago, the chances are you may have signed up as an individual and you may feel you're signed up as a couple. So please fill in a new form. Why? Because it's the numbers that matter when we're representing, when we're seeking to bring together, when we're wanting to change this nation. Secondly, on the, I've got a little table there, which is a dream, because I'm originally from Peckham in South London. So finally, Del Boy is here. 
but there's a couple of resources there. You can take these anyway. One is this Great Commission. When I joined EA, I'd been at Youth for Christ for 14 years. I went around the country getting people excited about reaching people with the gospel, but not leaving them anything. So we at the EA, because we're the table around which everything can gather, we're not the thing on the table, we thought, how do we serve the church in evangelism? So we produced a website, greatcommission.co.uk. On here, you'll find a video a week of someone who's come to faith in the UK. You'll find a multi-authored blog on evangelism. You'll find a prayer section, because we overestimate our activities and underestimate our prayers. But you'll also find an act section where you search for, for what works on reaching young people. There's 74 resources. What works on reaching Muslims, you'll find 11 things. Whoever you want to reach, we've put everything in one place. It's the only website in the world you search for adult small group material. Bang! Christianity Explored next to Alpha. Why? Because we're EA. We're broader than one. Finally, we're trying to fill the gaps. Where's church doing stuff? And, and we're perhaps not seeing the impact. The biggest area we're working on? Toddler groups. More than half the toddler groups in the country take place in the church. We surveyed 300 toddler groups taking place in the church. What kind of songs do you sing? Turns out it's the wheels on the bus, not the wise man building his house on a rock. What kind of stories do you tell? Bear hunts, not the feeding of the 5,000. We said, why? They said, we don't want to offend anyone. I find that absolutely bizarre. If you go to Sports Direct and they talk to you about trainers, it's not offensive. If people come to church, we can talk about Jesus. That's fine. It's his house. So we're helping to produce some, some evangelistic toddler group material. We're really excited about it. Two aims. One, get to the toddler. Second, get to the carer. The biblical literacy is the same, but taught through a two-year-old. Happy days. <laughs> Secondly, so do take one of those. Secondly, you might want this. What kind of society? Something we've done recently as EA. In the fractured nation we're living in, what kind of society do we want to be part of? What kind of society do we want to influence? What does it look like if you build a UK based on love, freedom, justice and truth? We're desperate to see this nation being what the Lord would have it be. Finally, and I will stop after this, if you sign up to EA today, I've got three presents for you. Why? I like you. Why else? I've been ahead of EA for about four months. I'm giving at least the next decade of my life to this and I will do anything to try and unite the church to reach the lost. Frankly, if these presents won't do it for you, let me know what you want. I'll give you a kidney. Anyway, um, <laughs> first is this, Game Changers. Anne and, I, my, and my wife Anne and I wrote this. Um, it's about how does Moses' encounter with God give him the confidence to transform his landscape? I'd love to give you one of those. Secondly, unity for a purpose. Seven sessions for individual or group study. How can we be united? The world might know hope, and hope is a name, and his name is Jesus. And finally, and this will swing it, my friends, it's an EA key ring. Bear with me. <laughs> this bit at the bottom has our logo on it. It's a fake detachable pound. When you go to the supermarket and you need a trolley, you will thank the Lord you joined the Evangelical Alliance. <laughs> when you go to the gym and you need a locker, you will do the same. All I ask is each time you use it, please join me in praying for three things. Pray that the church would be united in this nation. Pray that the voice of the church would be effective in the corridors of power. And pray that together we might make Jesus known. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I just ask that you would forgive me for overselling in your house. But you know that the motive's very pure, even if the method is a, t a tad del boy. But Lord, as we turn to your word now, we pray you'd speak to us. Lord, whether it's through me or in spite of me, would you speak to your people today, we ask. And Lord, I pray with the fun as well. It seems crazy that your people would gather and not enjoy being together. So as I share with them all over the next 18 or 19 hours or so, <laughs> we invite you to speak. Amen. And if you've got a Bible, would you turn it on? We're going to go to Mark 10. If it's any help, it's page 869 in my Bible. 
And we're going to read verses 35 to 45 on the request of James and John. Because on this year where you're looking at getting back to basics and having a year of focus, I thought I'd talk about not missing the point. It says in verse 35, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, it's so easy to miss the point, isn't it? It's so easy to not see what the Lord requires. It's so easy to not see what the Lord is doing, too. I had, uh, about a week into my new role at the EA, I had an interview with a secular journalist. She says this to me, why is the church dying? I said, I don't understand. She said, well, it's fairly clear. Why is the church dying? I said, how is it dying? I said, more people came into a personal relationship with the living Lord Jesus yesterday than on any day since he rose from the dead. And I said, if you want even better news, more people will become Christians today than did yesterday. Isn't that brilliant? She says, but why is the UK church dying? I said, oh, that's a different question. I said, you see, there's not a section in heaven for British people. <laughs> and friends, I think we need to start realising as the church, we're on the winning team. We know the end of the story, Jesus wins, but we're also on the winning team. More people are coming to faith right now globally than ever before. I long for it here, but until it's here, I'll keep the global perspective too. And we mustn't miss the point and start believing that things are not as they seem. In this passage, the disciples are so slow to grasp what it's all about. Jesus is talking about ransoming himself for them. And James and John are discussing and arguing about who gets more reward for their petty sacrifice. You know, the account in Matthew makes them look even more tragically pathetic. And the other ten disciples are indignant. You'd have thought, well, that's because of what James and John are doing. No, it's because James and John aren't recognising the sacrifices the other ten have made. You know, you've got this petty moment where there's, there's 12 people comparing themselves to one another and it's distracting them from everything else. You know, in the church, we need to drop comparison. You know, when God made you, he made you brilliant, but he threw the mould away because one was enough. We mustn't compare ourselves to others. It either makes us feel better about ourselves at their expense or worse about ourselves elevating them. God made you and you're amazing and you're wonderful. When you get really close to any human being, you realise why God only makes one of everyone. He only needs one. But he doesn't need us trying to be like others. He doesn't need us comparing, does he? I remember when I was at Bible college, I went to Bible college when I was 18, and um, you're all too young to know this, but back in the day, my parents were fairly well known in the Christian scene in the UK, let's say. And I went to Bible college, and people therefore expected me to be basically just like Jesus. 
The problem is I wasn't that much like Jesus. And I went to Bible college and there was this one chapel service where they said at the front, if there's anyone else in the student body that you really don't like, if there's anyone you compare yourself to to feel better about yourself, if there's anyone here you look at and you even question if they might be a Christian at all, if there's anyone here and you look at and frankly you just don't like them, we can't have that kind of disunity in the student body. So at the end of chapel, just say sorry and deal with it before lunch. At the end of chapel, everyone goes off to lunch. No one goes to see anyone apart from me. I had a queue of people. It kind of snaked around the chapel of person after person saying to me, do you know what? I really don't like you, but please forgive me. Or when I look at you, I feel so much better about myself. And, was, and Friends, there's better ways of doing it. Do you know what's funny, though? Everything all those Christians told me they didn't like about me as a young person, they love about me now. So they'll say, you're really brave, you'll make a stand, you'll go out on a limb, you'll do... Yeah, we, we need to work hard at this. But wouldn't it be amazing if in this church you never went to bed on an argument? Because you always dealt with stuff. And part of that was not comparing yourselves to one another. You know, and we are not as crass as the disciples, but we might struggle to understand that, that what we really need is not a reward, we need a ransom. Jesus teaches in these verses that discipleship is self-denying, self-risking, it's self-giving, it's lowly service for the redemption of the world. And I think as well as not getting it wrong, I think in the United Kingdom we need to raise the bar on what it means to be a disciple. I think we miss the point here sometimes. I, uh, I meet so many people who will say things like, um, it's a bit old-fashioned and you're living under law, not under grace, if you have to spend time with Jesus every day. I'm like, hang on, what's wrong with us? When, when did it ever become okay to have a relationship with someone and not spend time with them? Can you imagine if I woke up this morning, well, in fairness, I didn't say morning to her because it was quarter to five, but if I woke up in the morning and didn't say good morning to my wife, because it's a bit legalistic to do that every day. Friends, we need to get back to basics on our, on our walk with the Lord. We expect people to respect a book we don't read. We, we expect people to want to join a, a family in which, at the moment, where's our health at? Where are our spiritual disciplines at? Where are we doing with that? We're, we're biblical authority, allowing the Bible to drive who we are. And what about also within some of this? Where's holiness gone? You know, I, my 14 years in Youth for Christ, the question I was most often asked by Christian young people was this. Where is the line in my physical relationship? Basically, what they were asking was, how much sinning can I do before I upset Jesus? And you know what? There is no line. Relentlessly pursue Jesus. If in doubt, don't do it. If in doubt, don't smoke it. Don't snort that. Keep your trousers on. Don't look at that. Don't fiddle your taxes. We need to find a new type of holiness. Salt and light needs to be different. And I just think there's a challenge to us at the moment. The dark is getting darker, so the light needs to shine brighter. Jesus tells them they've got the story back to front. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. At the same time, I feel sorry for the disciples. According to the late John Stott, the disciples were aged 15 to 22. Can you imagine if your adventures as a young person were recorded in the most read book in human history? So we have to go a bit easy on Jesus' youth group here, but he does make two things central. The first is this, and we all know this, but it's so important. There's a clear message. There's a really clear message. Jesus uses two of the most offensive words in the Roman Empire to convince the disciples they don't need a reward, they need a ransom. And the first is this, 
the Greek word lutron, or ransom price. It describes the payment made to free a slave or a criminal or a prisoner of war who had no hope of survival without the help of a powerful friend. Really simple stuff, but really amazing. He says he lutrons himself. He literally liberates them from enslavement to something that otherwise there's no hope of leaving behind. Jesus tells the disciples he's about to take the punishment they deserve for their sin. You know what's amazing? He basically says, fellas, you really don't want what you deserve. <laughs> I'm, doing the, I'm not giving you what you deserve. I'll give you what you deserve, you're stuffed. But I'm not giving you what you deserve. I'm giving you a ransom. I'm liberating you. I'm setting you free. It's time for them to be grateful to God they don't get what they deserve. And, and you know, for us as Christians who've known the Lord a long time, let's not get bored of the gospel. The gospel's just amazing. The way the gospel changes your life. You know, because of the brokenness, you know, there was creation, everything was wonderful. And then the brokenness of mankind meant we needed liberation. So Jesus, who is God, comes from highest heaven to lowest earth. That is amazing, isn't it? It's just amazing. And he becomes a baby. Babies don't do anything. That's not true, actually. Babies don't do anything you want them to do. <laughs> he becomes a baby. What does it look like when a God who threw the stars into space becomes a baby? Not just any baby, the lowest form of baby. A boy. Let's be honest, women are the superior gender. It's not even a joke, if you don't agree with me, you're single. Anyway, he grows up into a man who gives food to the hungry, health to the sick, life to the dead. Dies upon a cross, taking every wrong thing upon himself you've ever done, ever could do, ever might do. That we could be liberated from our brokenness. No life in all its fullness, now and forever. You know, I don't know why we're always so obsessed with life after death. How do you get through this week without Jesus? And they throw him in a grave and three days later they go to the grave and the grave is empty because your Jesus, my Jesus, defeats death. For 2,000 years every cynic in the world has looked for the body. There is no body because Jesus is alive. Yeah. Friends, we mustn't get bored of this simple message. You know, when you go to the garden tomb, it was made for little Joseph Arimathea. Jesus was taller. So they dig out a bit by the feet to fit Jesus' body in. Now that I'm middle-aged, I totally appreciate the fact that home improvements should be a fiscal choice for the long term, not for three nights. It seems a waste of time. <laughs> but we mustn't get bored of the gospel and what Jesus has done. And you see it time and time again. You see changed lives, don't you? I bump into people and they're like, they don't even look the same as they used to look. If you've met Jesus, something's changed. People's lives get totally turned around. Sometimes we forget in our own lives what God's done. I grew up in Ichthus, which is like a house church in London, and I got banned when I was 14 from Ichthus for six months and didn't really go back, but went back to speak at their summer camp last summer. I'm 40 now. So I went to speak at a summer camp. It's been a long time since I've been at it. The last time I was at their summer camp, I was put in an area for my own protection and safety and for the safety of others. <laughs> I returned to preach, and do you know what? The best thing about it was nothing I did. The best thing about it was realising again what Jesus has done in my life. Because you get used to it, don't you? Do you know when I realised it was afterwards? When person after person came up to me and I felt the need to apologise for behaviour from yesteryear. You know, ex-girlfriends and parents and all kinds of things. But you know what? We forget what God's done. Forget what God's done in your life. You know, I mean, I'll never forget when my old RE teacher found me on Facebook. Now, she sent me this message because I became a Christian about three months before leaving school. She sent me this message. It said this. It says, you're married. You've got children that you know of. <laughs> And you're not in prison. What happened? Do you know what happened? Jesus happened. 
Friends, we forget what Jesus has done. Our own stories is the greatest way of sharing the message with others. There's a clear message. But look what he's done in your life. When I was growing up, I mentioned the fact that my parents were fairly well thought of. So I thought, what could I most do to annoy my dad? So I went out with the daughter of the local imam. And it didn't didn't last for that long. But she found on YouTube a video of me preaching at Spring Harvest. And she can't understand, how does that boy she knows become that man? I'll tell you how, Jesus. Friends, we've got to remember the story in our own lives, but also we have such a clear message for the world. Don't complicate Christianity. Son of God became the son of man, so the sons and daughters of men might become the sons and daughters of God. But secondly, there's a huge cost. There's a call to put all our eggs in one basket. You see, the second Greek word is doulos, or slave. It's used in verse 44. Jesus tells the disciples the sacrifices we make for the kingdom, that's normal. Some of us will get marginalised, some of us will find it hard, some may even die, that's normal Christianity. You know, revivals don't happen when Christianity is in the mainstream of society. In fact, if you want to see the church not grow as a government, just make it the most popular, normal thing. But when it finds itself on the margins, it tends to make a big difference. We are being marginalised in this country. Let's not moan about it. Let's take that opportunity. Also, um, revivals are hallmarked by two things normally. Coordinated prayer that's not been seen before and holiness that's unprecedented. There's more coordinated prayer in the UK right now for the lost than there's been in living memory. Just if we find holiness, game on. But this do-loss piece is to accept that in the end, it will be hard because we're all in. We hold nothing back on the table. My wife Anne does a lot with the Iranian church. And I know some of you go to Spring Harvest, so you'll have heard Ladan's story last year. But Ladan came for dinner at our house. Ladan is about three or four years younger than me. She's been in solitary confinement for her faith. She led a church in Iran, and she went off to preach one Sunday, went back to her church, and everyone had been arrested, taken to Evan Prison, which is the famous one in Tehran. And so um, Ladan thinks, well, I better go and be with my people, because at the end of the day, I'm their leader. So she rings up her mum to say she's going to call a cab to go to prison. Her mum tries to stop her, but there's no stopping Ladan. In Iran, you don't get a cab on your own. It's too expensive. So there's other people in the cab. There's three other people in the cab for the 20-minute drive to Evan Prison. Ladan thinks she's never coming out of prison again, so she spends her 20 minutes leading those three people to Jesus. Friends, there's something different. When you really feel like your last moments are with you, what do you turn to? You turn to the fact that you've got hope and you've got hope for other people. We've got to get back to the main thing. The message is clear, but the cost is massive. But we're not alone. We've got each other. And the church can do unity like no one else. We had a men's curry night. And um, I go to a church in Harrow, which is the most multi-ethnic borough of London. And it's 22 men at the curry night. They're aged 16 to 80-odd. Of the 22 men, there's 15 ethnicities. My friend Al, who runs the curry house, says, what the chuff are you lot? I said, well, what do you think we are? He says, well, you're a vicar type, so I think you're the church. I said, why else would we be the church? He said, no one else gets this range of people around the same table eating food together. Friends, the church is a unique place and a unique part to play. It might be hard, but we have each other. We also mustn't forget the most common promise in the Bible is not anything other than this. God says to his people, I am with you. You know, if I, if I had to think about the hardest week of my life, it was probably it was about 10 years ago, I'd taken over leading Youth for Christ, and 
my wife and I had all kinds of problems having kids. I won't go into detail now, it'll take too long. But all kinds of problems having kids. And our son had nine blood transfusions in the womb. We were told we couldn't have children, so we got two, which is amazing. But he had nine blood transfusions in the womb, was given a 5% chance of survival. He's absolutely fine now. But the first blood transfusion was at 18 weeks, and he's about this big. And that happened, and he had a 5% chance, and I was just, it was really hard. Four days after the first blood transfusion, it was my first staff conference as head of Youth for Christ. Youth for Christ is spread all over the country. All 450 get together once a year. If you don't cast your vision, then you're stuffed. We've gone a mile from home when the phone rings. We answer the phone. It's the hotel in North Wales we've booked out for the week. The norovirus, D&V, right, has taken over the hotel. And so environmental health have shut the hotel down. I'm a mile from home. We pull into this Asda car park. I get out of the car. I pass on to the Lord how I'm currently feeling towards him. It's okay to wrestle with God, just don't go so far he puts your hip out, right? I feel God say to me in this car park, I'm with you, it's going to be okay. So I start ringing through my leadership team. You know how it is, you've got a leadership team. You go through the first few that you think will really help you. There's only seven on my leadership team. The first five don't answer their phone. By this point, I'm in trouble. I'm ringing the people that, frankly, I'm thinking I'm only ringing them out of duty. But then I ring, the, I, I ring my friend Jeff, who used to run our prison work, and he says, Gav, we'll sort it. He says, drive to the middle of Birmingham, we'll sort it. And so we decide to text all 450 people, because it's before WhatsApp, we text all 450 people, go to the middle of Birmingham, it's going to be okay. Do you know 443 came? The only hotel in Birmingham that had enough beds was the Hilton at the NEC. So we told them all to go there. We hadn't got a deal, we just told them the conference had moved to there. We get to this hotel and Jeff and I are sat upstairs with the manager and the assistant manager. 443 people are in reception. We tell these people what we can pay. It's 25 grand less than they can sell it to us for. So I turn to them and say, I'm really sorry, but if you don't come down 25 grand, I'll go and tell 443 people in reception to go home. That's absolutely bricking it. They go out the room, they come back in, they say, we don't know why we're doing this, but as an unprecedented act, we're going to let you have it for the price you said. We then had our best conference ever, but before we left that room, Jeff turned to him and said, by the way, the suites are quite nice. Can we have one? I said, Jeff, shut up, get out. <laughs> but you know, I had this week where I spent time by my, by my wife's bedside whilst my unborn son was probably going to lose his life. I spent time thinking, how do I lead an organisation when the hotel's closed? It's never been closed before. How do I go forwards when I don't know what to do? You know what? Sometimes you put one step in front of the other and you say, do you know what? I do lost myself on you, Lord, but you better deliver. Because you promised to be with me. Please be with me. And I think for us as the church, the, the message needs to change. The, the message needs to get back to basics. We have a gospel to carry. But the cost to us is probably everything. You see, when people come to faith, they tend to say, oh, no, Lord, let's have a go. I'll give you my life. Let's have a go. You know, when you get married, you make much bigger promises than that. When you get married, you make mega promises. I've been married for 19 years this summer. I got married when I was four. And I've been married for 19 years this summer. And when I was getting married, I mean, my wife Anne is amazing. She's amazing. But nonetheless, the size of the promises I was going to make to her, they're massive, aren't they? They're massive. That by God's grace, you want to keep. So on my wedding day, I had two best men. And one of them came into my bedroom and says, you're getting married today. I ran to the loo and forgive me, I was just sick everywhere. I was in trouble. Another one comes in, he says, you're going to be married to the same woman for the rest of your life. 
I ran to the loo and forgive me, it was all coming out the other end. I was in trouble. On my wedding day, I was in trouble. Why? Because of the cost of making that commitment to another person. Not because I didn't want to do it, but I knew the size of the commitment. These two best men, though, they turned it into a game. They'd come in and say all kinds of stupid things like, the only part of a woman that never changes is her eyes. And I was off to the loo. I don't even know why. The morning of my wedding day, I, I had diarrhea seven times. I was six, six times. It was bad news. Anne gets to the church. I wasn't ill. Anne gets to the church. And I'm out the back being sick. So one of the best men goes and says, you're going to have to go around the block again. He's not ready. As they go around the block again, she turns to her dad tearfully and says, uh, he's not coming, is he? Her dad says, with what I've paid, like he better add. And they went around the block. By this point, I've had a chewing gum. It's all good. Anne comes down the aisle looking amazing. We get to the front of the church and we start making promises to each other. I am with you for better or worse. I'm with you for richer or poorer. I'm with you in sickness and in health. Those are big promises. Then you have to say, all I am a give to you and all I have a share with you. So at this point, I think of all the things I've not yet bought that I won't be buying because <laughs> I'm not on the finance committee. And I also, I'm not a great crier. I tend to cry at really important things like when AFC Wimbledon lose a football match, but I'm not a great crier. But I feel myself start to go. So instead of saying, all I am a give to you, comes this, all I am a give to you, all I am a give to you. So it's really shaking. So I bite my lip to stop it shaking till I feel blood coming down my chin. I take the moss bros jacket someone else will have the next week. I wipe it off. And by the grace of God, I make promises to that woman that by his grace I will keep. Friends, it's about time there's a generation of Christians. And that doesn't mean age. That means a bunch of people are prepared to go for it together. Who go all in with Jesus. For better or worse. Not just for better or if you give me what I want. For richer or poorer. Not just if I have what I need. In sickness and in health, not just if it's all going well. Till death takes us home to be with Jesus. All we are, we give back to him and all we have, we share with him. You know, C.S. Lewis said, the idea of us giving anything back to God is like a boy going up to his dad and saying, will you give me some money so I can buy you a present for your birthday? It all belongs to God anyway. And I just felt as driving up here, it's so simple today, friends. We have got a clear message. And boy, does this nation need to hear the clear message. And not just with our mouths, with our words, with our works, with wonders. That message is so clear. But for us as Christians, there's a huge cost. I think for a while, there's been a social benefit to being a Christian in this country. That's not true anymore. But that's okay. Because the truth of the message is still true. And perhaps it's time that a bunch of us said, you know what, the price tag might be harder. But I'm going all in, Jesus. I'm leaving nothing on the table. Because I am yours. And in you and through you. Please use me to bring about your glory. Just all close our eyes for a moment, shall we? As I was, uh, as I was driving up here today, I did just have a real sense that for a few of us, we actually know that the price tag of following Jesus, the price tag of, of serving him, the price tag of sharing this message, the commitment needed for the next chapter... It's actually another level to where we've been before. There's a, there's a, we, we actually know in our heart of hearts to share our faith at work is going to be harder than it's been before. To, to be who we need to be in our families. To Maybe perhaps the sacrificial giving that's required from us. But we just know that for what we want to see in our lifetime, the cost is higher than it's been. And I just think the Lord meets us in those moments. When I think about that car park when I was ranting at the Lord, the Lord met me in that moment wasn't necessarily pleased with what I'd been saying before, but he met me in that moment. And I think for some of us, when I was driving up, I had a sense over both these services, for some of us, there's a gear change in what it's going to cost us to be who we need to be for the kingdom in this next chapter. 
This is not about a bunch of us going to Africa necessarily, though that might happen. But it's about in the context we already find ourselves. The price tag rises, so, so does our ability to say, all right, I'm in. I'm all in, Lord. And I just wonder, if that's you this morning and you're able, I'd just love to pray for you. So if that is you, would you, would you just stand where you are if that's you this morning? If you know that actually there's a gear change needed for you, the cost of following Jesus is going to get harder, but you want the Lord to equip you for that. If that is you, would you just stand where you are today? of those for whom there's actually an awareness that the message doesn't change but the cost might I want to pray Lord that you would remind each of my friends right now of that great promise that you're with them I want to ask Lord in this moment there'd be a real sense of your presence alongside them but I pray Lord for open goals of opportunities to be bolder to be braver to to be what's needed at this time I pray Lord that that as it maybe gets harder, so you draw closer. And I ask, Lord, for this church, that this church would be used in a remarkable way moving forward. Lord, enough decline in this nation of your church. Enough of the darkness seemingly winning. We pray for a new chapter for Ivy and beyond. And Lord, we thank you that you never ask anything of us you haven't done before. So we thank you once more for what you've done for each one of us. Whether we're stood or not, Lord, I kind of pray a spirit of new Christians to be amongst us as we leave this place today. That we'd almost be like, like when we first met you, buzzing about what you've done and therefore desperate to share you with others. I pray, Lord, you would remind us of what you've saved us from and who we are compared to who we were. Lord, we're all works in progress, but we are pleased that you are making us more like you. We invite you to do that yet more. Finally, Lord, we do pray over our nation that for your kingdom and your glory, you would do something that could only be attributed to you because it was so remarkable. You would do something that would change the face of the United Kingdom and that some of the division currently in our land would be healed by the great uniter King Jesus and as we worship you now we pray that our small offering to you would be a sweet sound to your ear thanks for listening for more podcasts go to ivychurch.org slash media